Hi, everyone, and welcome to Christian Ethics in the Wild, the occasional podcast. It is February the 1st. Uh, it is icing and incredibly nasty outside, so all of us have been stuck inside for the last uh, three days. So I'm doing this episode as, um, as a podcast as opposed to trying to type it out because that's the kind of brain space I have when I'm trying to get work done from home. Uh, by the way, if you hear piano noises in the background, that is my eight-year-old doing his uh, piano exercises in the wall that I that we share between the front room and uh, the home office. So I wanted to talk a bit today um, about why evangelicals need ethicists. And so before I do that, I just want to say a brief word of appreciation for um, all of you who have joined up uh, in the last um, last month this little series that I did on ordinary harm and abuse and trying to help uh, pull these things apart in what I, what I think are helpful ways um, seemed to really resonate with a lot of people. And so I'm really grateful for um, grateful for you sharing it and grateful for everyone who is, who is coming along. I do this uh, as an extension of my ordinary vocation as theologian and ethicist at the uh, graduate school of theology at Abilene Christian university where I work and in part because I think this kind of stuff that we talk about is uh, something that a lot of folks are interested in and hungry for and need to have opportunity to think through um, beyond the classroom. We do, we do great work in the classroom, but um, not everybody is going to come to a class. So two things as we get started. One, um, as I make this apology here for why I think evangelical needs ethicists, I want you to s- not see this as an apology for people to listen to me so much as for people to listen to ethicists. Um, if you want to come along and read more of the stuff that I do, that's great. But this is not first and foremost, an apology for this little corner of the internet. It's an apology for the need for ethicists within um, evangelical life. And secondly, if this resonates with you, um, eh, I just encourage you to share it with other folks. Um, give them a, let them have a listen. So evangelicals do some things extraordinarily well. I grew up um, broadly in evangelical circles, uh, doing all of the evangelical cultural things. Uh, See you at the poll, disciple nows, um, got baptized a couple of times, you know, all the, all the regular, but here's what I think evangelicals do exceptionally well in terms of what David Bebbington has called the quadrilateral. Uh, The evangelicals take scripture seriously, first and foremost, at least that's kind of a classical a classical distinction that Bebbington wants to draw out is that they emphasize conversion, that uh, scripture is not something to simply be read, but something to be applied, something to be inhabited, um, that this then requires the third mark, which is that of some sort of activism. You want to do something with it, uh, that you are being converted daily and converted toward God through the reading of scripture and uh, the love of scripture. And all of this, of course, becomes centralized in uh, the person of Jesus Christ, that Christ is the one who changes, uh, who changes us all. And so evangelicals, I think, have a really rich, um, have a really rich history and a really, a really interesting one. And I hope we'll have a good future. There's any number of things that we could say about that, but I'm going to put all of that stuff to the side 
in the effort to kind of just speak to what I think is the best, um, the best elements here and why evangelicals, if they are to have a good future, need to um, start listening to ethicists. So because of the nature of evangelicalism, there's a lot of load-bearing work that happens in biblical studies in particular. So when I think about my own tribe uh, of Baptists in particular, um, however you want to designate Baptist in relationship to evangelicals, that's kind of an open question. I'm going to go ahead and include them here for just for the sake of argument. Um, the, there's a lot of ways in which Baptists in particular have contributed to uh, the broader Christian life, but most of the scholarly work that Baptists have done has been in the area of biblical studies, not surprisingly. If you are part of an ethos that takes Scripture to be first and foremost what we pay attention to, and that uh, a life of holiness and active living looks like bearing out the things of Scripture into the world and in one's own personal life uh, as mediated through the person of Jesus Christ, then biblical studies plays an enormous, and I'm going to argue an outsized role with respect to how uh, evangelicalism works. Um, It does fantastic work with respect to trying to dig into the original context of Scripture to help um, provide nuance and navigate how the Scriptures fit together and how um, there is polyphony within Scripture, but there's also kind of a unified witness to the nature of God. I mean, one doesn't have to be evangelical to get this, um, but I think this is something that evangelicals try to do well. Um, the difficulty here, in one sense, with putting so much weight on the biblical studies folks, is that um, the gatekeepers for what it is to be a Christian wind up being not ultimately biblical studies folks, but they wind up being archaeologists. That if we can establish what the original context of Scripture is, then that gives us a window into what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus. And ultimately, um, biblical scholars reading the text and navigating the text are relying upon another group of folks, uh, the archaeologists. And so it winds up being the archaeologists who really tell us what it is to be, um, to be faithful. But I think that there's a second difficulty here. Na- uh, there's the piano, if you can hear it in the background. Um, namely, that biblical scholars then become tasked with being uh, the jack of all trades. They become tasked with being um, not just biblical scholars, but how do the pieces of scripture fit together? How do we make sense of uh, the authorship of scripture in light of the person of God? How does um, how do we how do we reckon with this person Jesus uh, as depicted in the literary text of scripture and make sense of make sense of him? with respect to the Old Testament. Once you start asking those kinds of questions, I, my, my take is that biblical scholars are being asked to do more than they are uh, typically trained to do well. That they are being asked at that juncture to be theologians. Um, why, why evangelicals need theologians and not biblical studies is, uh, is that's a that's an episode for another day, but I think it opens up the. But this is kind of the most obvious problem that you see, um, that I see at least, is that there have been a rash of 
theological books written within the last several years by evangelical scholars who are biblical studies folks trying to do theological work. And as one who did a PhD, not in biblical studies, but theology, it's very evident to me when basic category mistakes are being made or um, they are saying things with respect to God that they don't really intend to say, but are in fact saying because they just don't know. Uh, they don't know what they don't know. Um, the same can be said, though, with respect to biblical studies and ethics, that in the same way that we ask biblical, uh, biblical scholars to be our theologians, we also ask biblical scholars to be our ethicists, that we ask biblical, biblical scholars to, um, to tell us on the basis of their training and of their uh, archaeological readings of scripture what it means to navigate the world well as a follower of Christ today. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that uh, there is some sort of like blessings ditch between the world of the text and the world of today. I don't mean something like that. I don't really agree with that. Insofar as if God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then God is also, that's also our God. And so scripture speaks, um, scripture speaks in a contemporaneous voice. It doesn't speak simply in a historical voice. Um, kind of encased within the concrete of uh, the 8th century BC, but rather it speaks, um, it speaks into our world as well. This is something that the ancient writers knew well. They didn't have to do kind of like great historical theological translation between the 6th century BC and the 2nd century uh, after Christ. They just kind of assumed that God speaks through the text today. So nothing more complicated than that. What I'm referencing here is that biblical studies tends to have a fairly limited view with respect to the moral content of Scripture. That when we think of um, that, biblical studies tends to, to think in terms of genre, in terms of uh, historical context, and, and the way in which it would have been read and used and understood within um, kind of an ancient framework. And so you find um, biblical scholars referring to things like uh, the difference between, um, say, the genre of the Gospels and the, and the wisdom literature or the histories and these sorts of things. The way that this all gets filtered down, then, is that when we start thinking about ethics, we start thinking about where are those things which are explicitly commanded or prohibited. And that, my friends, gives us a very limited vision of ethics. There are many places within Scripture where you have explicit commands. And I think that the, the moral vision of Scripture extends far beyond this. The Scripture displays the whatness of God in ways which invite our participation into that world in all kinds of ways. That Scripture wants to morally instruct us, not just with respect to um, what it looks like to be wise in the Proverbs, or what it means to be the people of God in Deuteronomy and Exodus, or what it means to be... Um, how that how that vision of the people of God is is renewed and recapitulated in the person of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, um, and that that's the only those are the only places we look to when with respect to kind of sorting out our ethics. But my presumption is that um, if all Scripture is of God, then we are instructed in story. We're instructed in terms of by by the way in which Scripture displays who God is. Um, that 
that all if all we have is a list of commands or a list of prohibitions, um, we have a very truncated vision of ethics. This is why evangelicals need ethicists. Ethicists are given training, which helps them to navigate questions of action, of how you act and when you act and what it means to act well, how we deliberate about that action, what kind of virtues are needed for good behavior, how to act wisely, and that none of of these things are very straightforward. In fact, none of these things are straightforwardly exegetical in that you might be able to get a a depiction of the kinds of goods that are needed from within scripture, but that is not the same as being able to put those things into motion well. And so this is the kind of thing that ethicists uh, spend a good deal of time on, thinking about what it means to have moral vision, how to move from the past to the present and then back again, um, how the, the, the wisdom and insights of the Christian past have interacted with or interact with the particulars of, of the present and what things are analogs and which things are not, which things, um, which things are the, are the gifts that we need presently and how all this coheres within um, kind of a dogmatic vision of God at work in the world. That ethicists are those that help, um, help, that can help Christians work through issues of deliberation. Um, I know I've referenced my biomedical ethics class a bunch and we're neck deep in it again. But one of the things that I find frequently when I'm working with my biomedical ethics class is they tend to think in terms of consequences and they tend to think in terms of commands, but if, but oftentimes they don't know how to marry those things well and they don't understand really why we need um, a third term like virtue or character to help make sense of either one of those. But for a Christian vision of uh, the moral life, I think you need not only a vision of where you want to go, um, kind of a reasoning in terms of the consequences or outcomes and re and a vision of what should always be prohibited or uh, attended to, but also a vision of how you do those things well and in ways which are consistent with the kind of people that God has called us to be and is shaping us to be. So all of that that I've just described, that's the work of ethics. And it's not something that comes in a straightforward account from biblical studies. So a couple of takeaways here. One, um, when you find a book written on moral questions, I invite you to do a little bit of digging. If it is something written by a biblical scholar, it doesn't mean that it's terrible, but just recognize that they're operating with a certain kind of vision and a certain set of limits with respect to um, what ethics consists of. I'm not going to name names. I'm just going to issue that as a caveat. Uh, two, um, encourage the ethicists that you know to read their Bibles. <laughs> I participate in this in the Society of Christian Ethics, and it is uh, it is surprising to me. It may not well. It's not surprising to me anymore. It would be shocking to you probably. Um, how few of the ethicists there like actually read uh, Scripture on a regular basis? Um, for an evangelical or evangelical adjacent or Protestant audience, it seems to be kind of a no-brainer that that would be what you do, but it's not always the presumption that they do great work in terms of um, analysis of the kinds of actions that are required and helping to kind of think through wisely 
through courses of actions in particular, but they're not always thinking about it um, theologically, and they're not always thinking about it with respect to uh, kind of the contours of scripture. So encourage your ethicists to read their Bibles, uh, particularly the Christians that, that do ethicists, that do ethics work. Um, and then three, I think just support broadly uh, ethics as a discipline that to be recovered, that it is something distinct from biblical studies and it's something distinct from theology, um, that it requires a certain set of skills and a certain attention and to uh, support Christians that are trying to recover that as something particular and something distinct. So don't treat ethics as simply like, you know, you get your theology straight and your ethics will just kind of take care of itself or you just read your Bible well and know what the original context says and that'll automatically transfer into an exemplary moral life. Um, Yeah, I don't think any of that's true. (laughs) I think ethics is, is, ethics is hard and I think it's hard because for two reasons. One, in that it's complicated, and secondly, because um, we're sinners, and ethics, I think Christian ethics should pre- presumes, at least an evangelical version of it, presumes that uh, we are sinners in need of grace and of rehabilitation by grace. And so the moral life is one that is, um, that is difficult and demands an entire lifetime. So support your ethicists, um, ask for better work. Be 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 careful when you're when you're listening to um, folks that don't have any uh, any training or any uh, any training in the area, and just kind of recognize both the gift and the limit that is there. And above all, again, just support support the training and formation of of the next generation of Christian ethicists. All right, that's it for today. Um, hope y'all are staying warm. It is freezing here, and hopefully things will thaw out soon. We'll see you next week.